Niate Steve Pelletier Yunishay Mai Deshkijni Nishli Biligana Bashish Chin Kinlin Chitni Dashache Biligana Nationale. Welcome back to Resball where today you get to hear me have some of my old man ramblings as I say how I'm already sick and tired of seeing a lot of 2024 NBA draft rankings out there. You'll hear my thoughts on why I'm so grumpy about this. Maybe grumpy's not quite the word, but definitely irked by it. So let's go ahead and get started. Thank you for listening to us again here at Res Ball as we are in the in-between space that Summer League ended and training camp has not yet started. So if you're rocking with us right now, we appreciate it. We know how much we love talking about the draft and Pistons and what we bring to the table. Thank you for staying with us during this in-between period for basketball, the basketball world at large. We still have FIBA going on. There have been the U18s, there have been the U20s, the U16s are going on right now as well as the big clubs as well. Everybody representing countries. Just saw tweets going out about the, the Canadian team. I've been seeing the tweets about the U.S. team as well, which I will talk about with that at Urban Piston fan. But for this podcast, I am being the old man of NBA Draft Twitter and saying, man, I'm already sick of seeing a lot of these 2024 NBA Draft rankings. I want to start with a couple of caveats to that, though. Number one, there is a Kendrick Lamar lyric. I believe it's in DNA, and I'm going to shine like I'm supposed to antisocial extrovert. That's definitely me here. I don't mind interacting with people. I do have extroverted tendencies like the podcast here to be able to do these things and be eloquent and engaging enough. But at the heart, I am pretty much antisocial, where it's just like, all right, I'm sick of seeing all this stuff. I don't want to interact with people right now. Let me go back to my computer. Let me go back to my TV and watch film and do these things. I don't want to hear it right now. You know, at the end of the day, I like quietness, maybe one or two people, but just me mostly. So... I want to start there to say, take this with a grain of salt. And again, I realize I might be the Grandpa Simpson of the NBA draft herder world, which I am totally fine with. So if it comes across as being like angry or antisocial, yeah, that's part of what it is here. So, but there are a couple other things too along the way where I'm like, I'm not saying that everybody's rankings are trash. Let me get that out of the way too as well. This isn't to say that everybody that's putting out rankings right now, like I'm sick of seeing that or they don't have some sort of validity to it. This is going to be a very, very aimed and specific criticism about rankings. And I think the overall, I don't know what to call it really of just like knowing when to say something, I guess is the only way to put it and the timing of a lot of these things. And part of this episode is me revealing some of my draft philosophies and also criticizing the nature of the basketball world and of talent evaluation as well. Because I think a lot of times we get so caught up in trying to make evaluations and especially for media and even people that like to do this, it's not their full-time job like myself or like the guys over at No Ceilings, you want to keep people engaged and you want to keep putting them there. But I think you have to temper it 
that with also saying, okay, maybe I need to look at more stuff rather than just putting out another video. So while this isn't specifically directed at anybody and I just talked about the no ceilings guys, I'm not saying they do a bad job. This isn't what it is. This is just again, me being the grandpa Simpson of NBA draft Twitter and kind of being the grumpy old man here saying these are the things that I don't like and why the 2024 rankings and all these things are starting to really irk me a lot. Number one being trying to get ahead of everybody else. If you're somebody that is saying like, oh, I think this person's gonna be the number one overall pick next year, or like, oh, I like this person better than everybody else, and your main reason is trying to get out in front, so you can quote unquote claim like, I was the first one to say this, or just say like, no, I had them ranked number one all year. Why, what's the point of that? I, I, I don't get that part of it. That doesn't give you extra brownie points of saying like, oh, this person's a better talent evaluator because they were ahead of everybody else. In some cases it can, but to me, this goes more into my second overarching point, which is just how much data do you actually have on somebody to where you can definitively say they are worth a number one overall pick because of X, Y, Z, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way through Z and beyond. To be a number one overall pick, you have to have a lot going for you. And with this 2024 NBA draft class, there are very, very few guys here that have that even A to like D that would put them in the top five. I think it's disservice to everybody in this class right now to really go out on a limb and say, I think they're going to be. Number one, this is not to say that there isn't talent. This is not to say that one of these guys or a few of these guys are going to end up being really, really good players. But this class is fluid. Any class like this where you go into it and there's no clear cut number one guy and there's a handful of prospects that people like, I think you have to be more patient and more cautious about what you put out there going into the future because you never know. You never know who's going to blow up during the season. And right now, as I'm recording this, August 10th, 2023, there are still guys going through practice. There are still guys going on European tours as I'm recording this. My Arizona Wildcats here from Tucson are doing their tour over in the Middle East. Um, so those are good data points as well to look at. Brandon Miller, Brandon Miller is a great example of this. By this time last year, very, very, very few people had him even in the lottery. Gets into more practice with Alabama, they do their summer tour stuff and bam, after that in like September-ish, I wanna say, then we start to hear more people saying, you know what, I think this guy might be a real scorer. We hear the coaching staff and everybody at Alabama saying like, he's hands down, clear, far and away above our best player. We're gonna give him the ball a lot. And now you have this film and you have these other data points to put him in there. Whereas if you did it before all that, he's probably not even really in your conversation. And then you take into account the game film as well. Whereas the knock on Brandon Miller before he even played a game in college basketball was, hey, he looks like a guy that takes a lot of mid-range shots. Eh, I don't know so much about his passing. Uh, I'm not sure about his defense. Uh, looks like he's the tallest guy in the court a lot of time. Is he really just taking advantage of that? You didn't get all those extra data points of, oh, look, he is a fantastic three-point shooter. He's able to do that as the season goes on. And it's all these things that 
after their summer tours started to build them up more and more to becoming the second overall pick. So I just don't think that there is enough data and there is enough film and other things to really help rank anybody definitively by this point. And again, for a 2024 draft class that hasn't had anybody far and away pull ahead, I think it's best to take a little while to get some more data, to get some more film, to be able to say, okay, now I know this person can do X, Y, and Z. And related to that as well is you do not know how they're going to fit into their team context until you see them do these summer tours or you've heard them go through a training camp or a couple different practices. For me, my personal philosophy is I don't start ranking the incoming draft class until around October because by October, We've had all these different things. We've had them have a whole summer with their team. Sometimes they might have gone to another tournament, um, show up in like, you know, the Seattle Pro-Am or, you know, Drew League, wherever they show up in these other different areas against other pros. They go on these European tours or they do these exhibitions like Kentucky did last year uh, in the Bahamas. Last year, Baylor did the World Jam in Canada. This year, it was Kentucky that did it there, participating against other pros from around the world. And then you also have them in practice. You get to see some film release that certain teams want to do. You get to hear comments from their teammates, from their coaches, from other people who might be removed third parties that have eyes on those practices. Say, hey, I thought so-and-so and so did this or whatever, and they seem to be fitting in good. I think those are super important parts of the puzzle and really help to give you an idea of like, okay, going into the season, I know because so-and-so did this in practice or, oh, I saw them do this uh, during the summer at this one tournament. It gives you so much more to work with to be able to say a little bit more definitively, not only what their skills are, but then, oh, this is how they're going to be used in practice. Kalel Ware from last year is a good example of this too. Even though he was highly ranked and he did great in high school, I mean, if you just looked at Oregon and their roster and then you saw how he was utilized in practice and stuff, you could see, oh, they're pushing him down. He's really not going to get that much playing time because he has these other upperclassmen there who have established themselves and, of course, in college basketball. The guys you put on the floor, number one, are the ones who are going to give you the better chance at winning. And nine times out of ten, those players are going to be upperclassmen. I mean, Kentucky is a rare exception where Coach Cal has figured out a way to balance those two things. And he's always figured out a way to bring in the one-and-done guys and still have success to where they're competing for national titles and supplemented by multi-year college basketball players there. Those are the exceptions. Most times, the freshmen are not going to get pushed to the forefront, especially if they already have well-established players in front of them. So my third point, again, being you just need to see how they are in practice and how they work a little bit more with their team. Keontae George is the opposite side of this, part of why I and so many people were high on him coming into the season last year was we saw what he did at the World Jam and we're like, oh, this is his actual team he's working with. This is a team that was in national title contention, won a national title in 2021. And here he is, his freshman coming in and clearly was the best offensive 
offensive player they had. They let him take over scoring. He's able to drop like 37 on Brazil. And it's like, okay, this is clearly somebody that already fits in, that gets it, and that they're willing to turn the ball over to. So team context, how do they work with their team? Even if it is just in practice, I think it gives you such, such, such useful information to be able to say, okay, this person is not only talented, but they're going to get a role and they're going to be a featured part of their team. My fourth point is that it is not doing the player any favors for you to pump them up before they're ready. (sighs) Again, I said this is kind of my old man rants. This is why I fear it is going to be more old man rants. And I don't know. Normally, I like to like have data and do a lot of research and to say, oh, look at how many people this happened to. This one's more of just my own personal thoughts and feelings on the matter. So again, take it will take it however you want, but think of Amani Bates. Amani Bates, that Sports Illustrated hype that he got where he was labeled the next Kevin Durant, that did not help him at all. He was not ready for it. He still had a lot to work on. They were hoping that his body would fill out, but it really didn't. He's still very skinny. And he didn't end up being the top guy. He was supposed to be, you know, him and Chet that were vying for the number one overall pick in their draft classes. If you've listened to Sam Vecini's Game Theory podcast recently, he and Coach Spinella talked about, you know, like why certain or prospects don't work out. And one of the things he talked about was like jumping up a level and skipping development time, which is part of what Imani did. But I think even if he had another year, I don't know that it it would have helped him out a lot. I think in his case, it's just like hyping them before they're ready to take on that kind of a role. Again, not everybody is going to be the man. Not everybody is going to continue to be the man. One of the hardest parts about draft world and draft evaluation is you're looking at players who has always been the best player on their team. Again, going back to that Sam Bassini podcast, They were saying, you know, from the time these guys are like 10 years old around there, they've been the best player on their team. So they've always had the ball in their hand. Sometimes when you go up another level, you have to readjust and you're no longer the best player on your team. So you have to go in a different role that goes from high school to college. That definitely goes from the college ranks into the NBA or whatever their pre NBA, you know, thing is, whether it's overseas, whether it's NCAA basketball, whether it's OTE, something else. If you're the best player there, chances are you're not going to continue to dominate the ball. Those guys are incredibly few and far between. So why I say this with, you know, it's not helpful to the player to hype up before they're ready. I mean, you can just think of other recent draft guys like BJ Boston. BJ Boston got put up into that top tier when we didn't really see how he worked in the Kentucky realm and in the Kentucky area. I think Kentucky guys too, like immediately when somebody gets put into Kentucky and says they commit to Kentucky, I'm guilty of it too, right? The cow clamps or the Kentucky bump as other people call it. You immediately want to be like, oh, they're going to be great because look at the track record of the guys that Kentucky put out. You know they're going to fit in. You know Coach Cal's going to get them right. But that's not always the case and it's not fair to put them ahead of the curve because of those things. Because again, with BJ Boston, we needed to see, okay, how does he fit in here? Is he going to be more of a playmaker? Is his shooting going to translate? All these other things. And again, the context around him was not great either. 
Unfortunately, you know, Terrence Clark passed away that draft season. He did not have the best season as well there um, for his untimely passing. Rest in peace, Terrence Clark. And then the rest of that team was just so space challenged and playmaking challenged. It wasn't a good fit. Uh, the other one is Anthony Bennett. Anthony Bennett, does he warrant number one overall pick? I, I don't know. He's one of the ones, he and Imani are the ones that make me think about this point in particular of like waiting to say anything about prospects because the more information you have on them, the better you are able to say what their strengths and weaknesses are and the better an idea you get of like, okay, are they going to continue to be the man? Are they going to continue to be the guy that should have the ball on their hands? Or are they showing you more and more things that like, man, they're not really a playmaker or like, oh man, they're really struggling in this one area that will give you second guesses. And I think with a draft class like 2024 and part of the reason why I titled this, I'm sick of seeing your takes on ready is because that when it's so fluid I think you need to take extra time and be incredibly more patient to be able to say like oh this is where I rank this person because of this because you don't want to heap praise and you don't want to heap expectations on them that they are not ready for or that their game is saying you know what this might not ever happen or may take an incredibly long time you know Anthony Bennett he had so many flashes but that's just what they were as flashes and I remember Oladipo and Nerlens Noel were the guys still in conversation for number one. Nerlens had the injuries. Oladipo really stepped up at Indiana. A lot of people thought he should be up there in that conversation. I just think you need to take more of your time and more patience when there is this type of a fluid class. You know, Wembenyama, uh, LeBron James having brain farts here. They are few and far between. We're like, from the minute you see them, you're like, oh, that's not regular. LeBron, I mean, a lot of people said it's like Magic Johnson passing ability. Look at his size. He was a grown man from the time he was probably like 14. He had a basketball IQ and intelligence far beyond anybody's, you know, maybe since and maybe afterwards. Women Yama. The size sticks out, obviously. The shot blocking stuck out of like, wow, look at his instincts. It seems like he always knows what to do. And then when you saw him get in the gym with like Rudy Gobert when he's like 17 and he's working with all these other professionals and you soon see him succeed in professional leagues, that is something that sets him apart from the rest of the pack that you're like, okay, now I can kind of jump the gun, so to speak, at like 17 or 18 and be like, yeah, this person is different because they're doing X, Y, and Z. And again, they at least have these things in their background to where you're like, okay, this is why I'm already willing to step out and say something for a LeBron or for a Weminyama because again, they display these skills in a certain context that you just don't see at that level beforehand. Cooper Flag is where I'll end this you know, take on. I'm already starting to see that with Cooper Flag as well. And man, I don't, I, I fear, I always fear when you see a guy who's like two or three years out get that kind of hype. Because the other part of it is normally when somebody has been hyped for so long before they're even in the rankings, they inevitably are the people that you end up knocking down later on. Or maybe I shouldn't say you, but like the process itself knocks them down. It's almost like, okay, everybody's praised you for so long. Now they have to find things to pick your game apart, which we saw a little bit with Scoot Henderson this last year, right? Everybody viewed him as a consensus number two, ended up going number three. Maybe part of it is because Charlotte ended up picking 
second, so they didn't want another lead guard. But you saw it in the draft coverage as well from a lot of different people and why they put Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson. is just kind of like, I don't know what to call it, like prospect fatigue, I've heard other people call it, you know, analysis fatigue, where it's just one of those weird things that the more somebody is at the top, the more the draft process and people out there are going to try and find things to pick them apart so that's another reason why this grinds my gears or whatever is it does not help the prospect if you're hyping them up before they're ready it's just not going to help and last but not least i want to end on a positive note and shout out other draft evaluators on the community of saying like i don't like you know ranking people this early but i do like reading the content obviously being draft obsessed and taking it as much as i can and there are people i think that do it the right way starting with rafael barlow I have been on his podcast once before. No, I, I don't know him incredibly well. I've just been following his journey and just having the one interaction with him on the podcast. And the one thing I know he is incredibly conscious of is understanding that we're creating a narrative about a young person. We're creating a narrative about a player. And to see the way he's starting to do his rankings and scouting reports and stuff on the 2024 draft class, if you listen to the NBA big board podcast he gives just like okay this is a returning big man these are guys i'm seeing this is why i like them this is what i think could be great but also saying this is where they need to work and all that and again not heaping unexpected or unevaluated I'm trying to think of the the right word for it it's just more saying okay here's all the context that i can give you here's the reasoning why i feel strongly about them too and the way that he'll talk about it too is i think this person is worthy of a first round pick i think this person is worthy of being the first big man selected or like i think they have number one pick potential and then also saying but and, and bringing it back because i think that's one of the best ways to say it is it's okay to like a prospect but if you have all these other prospects that could jump them as well again this is an incredibly fluid class that does not have anybody stick out above the rest i think that's the best way to do it is saying okay this is why i think they have the potential to do it but this is why there's still some things that they need to work on or this is some of the things that could keep them from there because the fluidity and again not trying to heap on expectations and not trying to heap on things in the profile that aren't quite there yet the uh, no ceilings guys i think do a great job as well too because they are a multitude of voices to where they don't just have one or two persons stick out and you can hear it in a lot of their different shows my guys Corey and albert on the draft deck even though they they tend to agree a lot of times you know and it's part of the criticism that they've got they don't have too many big disagreements on players but you have the two voices there to say hey this is what i saw what do you think this is what i saw it's like checks and balances they have the different guests on as well people that will disagree with them at times then you have the two Tylers, Tyler Rucker and Tyler Metcalf. They do a good job of being able to have checks and balances with each other as well and saying like, you know what, this is what I think is good and I, this is why I think you're wrong. It's not just one person dominating the narrative of whatever the player is. It's saying, okay, let's give this a full view. Let's give it a couple different voices to where it's not just one person trying to say one thing definitively. And that, that's a big thing with them too, is they don't say anything definitively. They're able to listen to other 
the people that they bring on, they're able to continue to reevaluate film and put that out there and say, okay, this is how this player has regressed or this is how this player has gone forward. And that they're always trying to let you know this is a process as it's going on. You know, shout out Paige there as well, who does a great job and all those different things. Nick Agar Johnson, my guy Draft Deeper as well, Maxwell Bombeck, the No Ceilings crew does a really good job with that as well. And I think another great one are all the guys over at Draft Digest. So Global Scouting, Motor City Hoops, shout out Bryce, a fellow Detroit Piston podcaster and content creator. And then my guy, Ignacio Risotto, fellow Piston fan out there. I mean, they show you the grind, number one, of like, okay, this is the film I saw here. I'm going to put it out there. I'm not going to necessarily give all of my thoughts on it, but to say this is where this person is, this is how they've shined. And I think they do some of the best jobs of taking as much film as they can and then putting out a scouting report or then putting out and then Jam as well too, Jam Hines there. Shout out Jam. They really take their time and they really try and find a lot of film before they definitively say anything about it. But they still can give their opinions of like, you know, this is the person I like going into this draft class. But in terms of rankings, they really take a lot of time and effort before they say definitively like this person should be one, this person should be two or whatever. And if you didn't listen to the, the Game Theory podcast, which I, I referenced before, of course, Coach Spins, Adam Spinella of the Boxing One and Sam Vecini of Game Theory it's a good podcast to think about players and how you miss and overanalyzation, um, seeing like, you know, is the athletic skills not as good as we thought? And just thinking of how we should be rethinking and reevaluating players based off of misses. I mean, just for me personally, before I really started putting my, my stuff out there, I, I think a lot of it was more the idea of like when you first see them you like them and you really want them to work out um and i think especially too for being any kind of evaluator like you want to be right i know i started this off with saying like don't be that person who's like you know i'm just the first to say them because number one you're not that that's the reality of it if you're the very first person that's ever seen this player and pumped them up to be an nba player to be the first overall pick to be top 10 you're working for an NBA team. That's something I think doesn't get said enough. Everybody in the NBA that's on a scouting department and a front office, they have eyes and ears on things far more than any of us out in draft Twitter. No matter how well informed we are, their reach and their grind and their work ethic and everything far outseeds all of us. And if any of the draft evaluators in NBA draft, Twitter sphere, Instagram, anywhere online, if they are really that good, then they get hired by an NBA team, which we've seen in the past with guys from the Steppe Inn and other places, go on to NBA staffs. So trust me, you are not the first person to get eyes on anybody. There's somebody in a front office right now who's seen the next sleeper you're going to find in like three months. They're, they already know, trust me on, on that front. So don't think that. What you really need to do is take a while and really break down things, look at the film, be patient. So the final thing I will say to end this episode is yes, take your time with this 2024 NBA draft class. 
it's a fluid situation. Don't put somebody up at number one that doesn't warrant it yet just because you want to be the first to get out in front of it. And also, like, please, 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 I implore people out there, take your time with this one because I don't think we're going to really know who the number one pick is or even who's in the range for the number one pick until about March or April. Again, this is my own personal thing, so if you have beef with it, you know, good to you, good for you, call me an idiot or whatever. That's totally fine. It's just my opinion. Again, this is the Grandpa Simpson episode, but I also want to end with a little bit of my own philosophies of how I put the big board together and stuff. Again, my timeline almost always will be October will be the first time I really give rankings because then it will give me a full, I am, well, not a full, but a better idea. Like I've laid out, we have the summer, whatever tournaments, whatever other tours and things the freshmen have done, see how they've worked in practice with their teams. And then you can really situate them in with the returning guys. The returning guys too, I think are the ones where if you want to definitively say more things, you can do that because you've had a full season or maybe more if they're an upperclassman of film to be like, hey, this is how they've grown. This is what they've done. This is how they fit in with their team. This is how they work in their scheme. That's a totally different animal, right? And if there's somebody that's hands and, you know, so, so far above everybody else, even in the freshman, and you want to throw their name in the number one, I think that right there is a legitimate thing because you have way more context, you have way more film and all these other things to say, hey, this is why I think they should be number one over the freshman in here. So for me, it's always October is when I give my first rankings because then I have more evidence for the freshmen to know how to place them amongst the returning and upperclassmen. Other people that might be overseas and stuff. And then January really is where I set like the 100 big board because by then it's been about two, two and a half months into the college basketball season. We've seen overseas stuff and there's a lot more game film. Most guys have played around 10 to 15 games at that point. So I can say, okay, this is what they're doing well. This is how they fit into their team. This is where they need to struggle. So my timelines are always October when I first give out initial rankings and like normally the lottery guys who I think are gonna have potential to get there up in the top end of the draft. And then January, because I really, really, really like to take my time with these things. And please with these 2024 draft rankings, don't rush it, have patience. Please put it, keep putting out the content. Don't get it twisted. I love reading everybody's stuff, but please, please, please don't try and jump the gun because I think this is a draft class that is going to take time and it's going to be a while before you can say, oh yeah, I think so-and-so is going to be the number one pick and here's a lot of reasons why. Thank you so much for listening to us here at Res Ball. We have a couple more podcasts here coming up. Like I said, it's going to be more philosophical stuff. I'll still do my weekly things with Andy. So we'll check yet next time and I will see you later. Hogone.